0: Welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Alina Kerrick. I teach frustrated professional mums who juggle everything to transform their lives, to lose weight and lead a healthy life so they can feel fit and fabulous. On the Fit and Fabulous podcast, we chat about nutrition, healthy living, emotional wellness in a way that you can apply to your life. I'll show you how to stop being frustrated and overwhelmed with healthy living and how to make it easy and fun. You're invited to sign up to my family friendly meal plan. Three easy meals to help you lose weight that the kids will like too. And my systems video. The simple system that keeps the kids happy and helps you shed the pounds. You can sign up at drorlina.com, That's D R O R L E N A dot com slash healthy dash family dash meal dash plan. Now on with today's show. Hello and welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Kerrick. I'm super excited today because we have a very special guest, Dr. Nadine Kelly. Nadine, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure to be
1: here. Thank you so much for having me. I also really enjoyed having you on my show.
0: Yes, and mm-hmm. I think this will come out before yours does. So, yes, just a shout out to your show that people must make sure to listen to that when it when it's live. Now, today, what I wanted to talk about was identity and purpose. But before we dive into that, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell you, tell us a little bit about you and what you do?
1: So I've had a little bit of a winding path. (laughs) I am a retired pathologist. That was in 2011. I retired already. And so after I retired, I did not know what I was going to do because I had a little bit of a crisis, but I wound up teaching yoga. So I'm a yoga instructor, but to a very special population, what I like to call my wise women, mature women, because I have always felt very passionate, even when I was practicing medicine, about the people that are not so seen. so typically when you think of yoga, we think of yoga for very young athletic bodies. but I felt that when I was learning to teach yoga, what about the people who can't get up and down on, off of the floor? Why can't we help them? So that's where I wanted my focus to be. So I teach yoga to make it very accessible in the water, on the mat and in the chair. I am also a health coach, an American College of Exercise certified health coach, specializing in senior fitness. And I am a podcaster. My show is the Yogi MD podcast.
0: Fabulous. So I think it sounds like we both have stories of identity crisis. And if you haven't heard mine. Mine is when I moved to Spain, accidentally lost my medical career and found myself looking after four small children. And at that time for me, there was so much inner turmoil. And I look at this now and think, oh, it was really that I lost my identity. But at the time, I obviously didn't realize that, although I suppose a little bit of me did realize that, but I didn't voice it in those Words, So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story and, and stories of other people in a similar situation.
1: So for me, I was that storybook, in a way, idea of becoming a doctor. My parents tell me when I was a little girl, that's what I talked about. The other thing is that my parents are Haitian immigrants I was born in America, first born, first generation. I'm the eldest. They really believed in education, and I do too, for sure. No one told me that I had to become a doctor. I decided to do that. So I take responsibility for that. But just because you imagine your life, being a certain way or you imagine this career and dare I say I might have romanticized it a bit sure I'm sure that's part of it but I did enter the profession thinking I want to help people and I still do I'm a service person and so when the story didn't exactly turn out that way and I guess as I've come away from this, the the more years I have to think about this, the more I realize just because I spent so many years, as you know, training to become a, a doctor doesn't mean that you have to like the job at the end of the day. So what's wrong with not liking what it looks like on a day to day basis? I didn't ultimately there were certain things I liked, yes but there was a lot of it I didn't and I didn't like the way medicine was evolving I didn't like the feeling of numbers and efficiency and as fast as possible and that's the direction it was moving in my parents were factory workers I remember one day waking up when I was really really I was I was becoming depressed and I didn't really know it or I was trying not to pay attention to that because I was functioning but I remember waking up one day and looking in the mirror and thinking to myself I'm just a high paid factory worker and I was not proud and I didn't like what, how I felt I didn't like how I felt about myself I didn't like that I didn't have time for what I felt was also important I wanted more balance my kids and my husband are very very important to me and I didn't feel like I was cultivating that relationship or cultivating that part of myself where that it wasn't it wasn't as special as I would have liked it to be at that time. I felt like work was overshadowing everything and that I had to readjust the rest of my life to fit into the picture of successful physician who puts everything else in second place and doctoring in first place. Ultimately, it just wasn't a good fit for my beliefs or my values. I really believe in family. So I had a bit of a crisis. You know, because people were telling me at the time, Oh, it's you not believing in yourself. You're have you've always been one who doubts yourself. You're, you're doing this. You can do it. And I'm not saying there was not an element of truth in that, but at the end of the day, you know, only you can really know how you feel. Only you can really know what's right, what fits for you. And No one else can feel the warning signals. No one else can feel the inner turmoil like you can. And only you can be responsible for those feelings. So at the end of the day, yes, I was forced to because I had a health crisis. I became clinically depressed. But after I began taking care of myself, I decided not to go back to medicine because ultimately... I I just didn't like myself and I didn't necessarily like practicing medicine for the next I was 40 at the time so I couldn't see myself practicing in that way for the next 25 30 years until retirement. Oh
0: wow. So I that was really, have, Oh, go. I, I,
1: and I, and I was I have to say it was it was I grieved for a very very long time because I felt like As you mentioned, it was part of my identity, and I saw myself retiring as a physician. I saw myself retiring behind a microscope. There were people that I really look up to, matriarchs in the Department of Pathology where I worked, and these women were so well-balanced. They were able to practice, be proud of their work, collaborate, work at a pace that was yes, challenging, but at the same time, it, it you had time to think about cases. That's why I went into pathology. And they were, they were these great mothers. We used to have these get-togethers, and their kids would come. And I thought, wow, yes, it's difficult, but you can manage to strike some sort of balance and be a productive member of society, of service, and still be able to have a loving life family and time for uh, to grow a loving family environment.
0: So you kind of had two crises. You had your crisis before you decided to make the hard decision to give up working and then you had another crisis after that. Is that true?
1: Can you elaborate a little bit more?
0: (laughs) Well it sounds like you had this sort of inner turmoil when you were working and decided that you were going to stop working. And then after you made that decision, there was a different sort of immatermal, this sort of grieving process, which was, oh my goodness, I hadn't quite realized that it was going to be like this.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. The inner turmoil was the initial one with the way the career was shaping. I was ignoring it because I thought, well, Anything worth having is supposed to be super hard. I'm supposed to be in pain. This is supposed to be horrendous. I'm supposed to feel like I'm not good enough because I'm supposed to prove that I'm good enough. It's not supposed to feel good. I'm supposed to feel like this. But if I could just keep looking at the next thing, if I could just get there, it'll get better. So it was first, even in high school. You know, working towards I I need to be a doctor so I need to get these good grades when I get to college when I get to a good college it'll be okay then I get to this college and it's so hard I went to the University of Chicago and it was very 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 difficult being a pre-med there but I'm thinking if I just work hard put my head down and graduate it'll get better then I get into medical school, and it's the same thing over and over again. So it's, it's starting thinking, well, if I could just make it to this next bench, benchmark, then I'll feel better. I'll be closer to that thing. I'll be closer to that practicing physician with the white picket fence and the two kids and the loving husband, and everything will be okay. I'll make everything work, and, I, and, and it'll be okay that I've felt like this for such a long time. It's normal to feel like this, but eventually it'll go away. Because, again, that was the narrative, certainly, in medical school, and it was definitely, I bought into it, I felt, is how it should be. So that was that crisis, and ignoring the, but, when definitely when I started practicing, I practiced for seven years in a community setting. It was a very busy practice. And I thought, okay, in the beginning, yes, practicing is very different from sitting in a classroom and learning or whatever. So, yes, it's going to be difficult to get to know how to practice and get comfortable and and develop, cultivate the art of practice. There's the science, but there's also the art. But then it wasn't getting any better while I was practicing. But I kept thinking, well, something's wrong with me. I kept blaming myself. For not liking this. I felt ungrateful. And I didn't want to ultimately admit to myself. That I just didn't like it. Overall. And that it was okay not to like it. Because people say. Well you spent so much time and money doing this. You. Why would you throw all of this away? So those narratives were in the back of my mind. And I accepted them. When the health crisis hit and I decided not to go back because I couldn't possibly imagine, and I still can't possibly imagine ever going back again. And I would never do that. The second layer of turmoil was how to forgive myself for not completing my mission, for not being one of those ladies that I admired in the pathology department Who managed to do it? Like, why couldn't I do that too? So that was something I dealt with for a long time.
0: And so how how did you deal with that?
1: To be very blunt, I had to learn to take responsibility for my emotions and my narrative. What I mean by that is just because, and I'm not saying people weren't doing this. There were people who were looking at me saying, you were a practicing physician and now you're teaching yoga? Are you serious? <laughs> okay. What a waste. Um, one time, a woman in a service that we used to uh, go to on a regular basis. My parents went, we went. Uh, i was a uh, clothing service where we'd take for repairs. And so the woman had seen us come in a lot. She said to my father once, you've got to be kidding me. Your daughter stopped practicing medicine. She stopped. She gave up all that money. So people were saying things. Just because someone else on the outside has a certain way of looking at the world or has something to say or has an opinion doesn't mean that I had to take responsibility for that opinion or pay attention to it or internalize it. So I had to take responsibility for grieving for this loss of what I thought I was supposed to do or what my life was supposed to look like and letting go of control, thinking that I could control every aspect of how life was supposed to happen.
0: And what would you advise people who find themselves in a similar situation if they're going through this crisis of identity, either, you know, grappling with, okay, I've chosen this path and I don't like this path anymore, or I've let go of this path and, oh, wow, I kind of feel that there were bits that I hadn't realized I was going to give up. How do people resolve those inner turmoils within them?
1: I think you've got to be willing to do that difficult self-analysis. This, there's this concept in yoga of self-study. We have these semantics for looking at things all over the place, whether you read a self-help book or whether you practice yoga or whether your um, your religion is very important to you. It's all about internal work and getting really honest about who you are, what's important to you, What's your value system? What are your beliefs? What are you willing to compromise? And what are you willing not to compromise? So for me, those are the things that I would say are very important. And I would also say that it's incredibly difficult work. It is not fun to hold up a mirror and say to yourself, this is what I believe to be true. This is ultimately what's not true for me. This is the person I thought I was, this is ultimately not really in line with who I am because maybe I don't want to really see certain truths about myself or certain realizations or incompatibilities with what I think I should be or who I think I should be.
0: And another question that I have that we've touched on in the conversation that we had on your podcast, but I think there's this idea of um, self-stimulating your brain. And, you know, so when you went from being a doctor to teaching yoga, did that give you enough meat to to get into? Does that make sense?
1: That's it. Excellent question. Yes. Because you go from this high level of pressure with so much intellectual information. What I did to make that transition was realizing that I am ultimately a very intellectual and a very curious person. Who could apply that to other areas of her life? So, what do I mean by that? With the yoga, I decided to go in a different path, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, by applying it in different ways to a different, to focus on a different population. So, there's a lot more. Creativity, which is another way to apply my intellectual side, in helping my students figure out how to best practice a particular pose, for instance. I'll give you an example. There would definitely be times, many a time, where I'd have a class with mixed physical abilities Maybe two women are sitting in a chair and the rest of them are on the floor. So how do I manage keeping the class in flow and helping each person to be able to practice in the way she needed to practice a particular pose in the chair and on the floor at the same time? You don't want the class to be disruptive. So, I like having to think about how to apply the yoga for different bodies in a different range of poses, breaking them down, thinking about how to best challenge a student but not push one into pain. I'm always learning, I'm always reading, and I also look at applying that intellectual curiosity to different parts of my life. I'm a drummer. Wow. That's not that's not an easy that's not an easy instrument to play. You know, I joke around with my kids and I say, "Why do I always have to pick the harder things? Why couldn't I have just picked up a single instrument?" No, I had to go and love an instrument that requires all four limbs at the same time. So, there's that. There's my cooking life, my creativity life with that, um, and always figuring out how to feed everyone so that they enjoy the food, how to make it nutritious, how not to waste what's in my refrigerator. I love to read. Right now, what's really funny is my daughters and I, both of them, were, I, I, I love that they're my buddies. So we'll, we'll have all these conversations. And the last few months, I've been having all of these cultural questions for my eldest daughter. She's a senior in college. And I would to, to say to her, I don't understand why people do this. Or what makes a person do X, Y, or Z? What makes a group of people do this? Or, and she looked at me a few times and said, I'm going to get you this book. So she bought me this book um, from one of her lectures, uh, her classes. And it's about how culture, cultural evolution, how cultural evolution is as powerful as genetic evolution And the book was sitting on my shelf because I'm reading other books at the same time. So I'd ask her another question. A couple months later, she'd look at me and go, hey, remember that book I gave you? (laughs) Have you read it yet? So finally, last week, I asked her another question. She just tilted her head and I said, fine, I'll go upstairs and get the book. I'll put everything else to the side. So I got the books and I'm diving into this really brain-melting material, but I love it. I love that feeling of growth. So I know that's what I need. That's my brain health, my intellect, my curiosity are really, really, really valuable to me, continuing to learn. I'm a lifelong learner, and I want to walk that walk. So I find other ways to satisfy that part of me. So I'm never bored. I'm always feeding
0: my brain. So it's really interesting. It's a combination of setting yourself challenges and being curious and having other projects on the go that actually interest you as opposed to projects that have been given to you by your work?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So what advice would you give people who find themselves in a similar situation? How can you sum it all up for us?
1: Do the hard work of getting to know yourself, whatever that means. If you need to go to therapy to do that, do so. There's no, there's no shame in having, in talking to someone to help you discover those things. It's actually a wonderful thing to have an objective person to talk to, one who's not a family member, who's not a friend, where those emotions are not going to kind of get in the way, where you can just really feel comfortable to, to bled down all of the walls and to really just be completely yourself. Once you can really get down to the root of who you are, then I think you can operate at a better level in your life because it'll be congruent with the inner self, the true self and being able to choose wisely the things that are outside that best Mirror what your what your values are, so that unfortunately it's not an easy thing. I guess is what I'm trying to say. you've got to do the and it's continues all the time it's a It's a lifetime of willingness to do self-study to do hard work to know yourself so that you can make informed decisions so that life is not happening to you. So we're not victims. I let myself be a victim for a very, very very long time. But that's a choice. And that's another lovely word I would love to introduce, choice. Because a lot of times we think we don't have one. Yes, we do.
0: Yes, I think I echo your your thoughts entirely. And I think choice is, is really interesting. I remember doing a course when I was actually at medical school and it was all about choice and how we can choose to do one thing or choose to do another thing. And often we feel we're pushed into something, but actually... You can choose to eat the ice cream or you can choose to not eat the ice cream. And we always are picking up choices. It's just often we don't think of them as choices. So yes, I love that. Are there any other last words of wisdom that you would like to share with us?
1: At the end of the day, be kind to yourself. If you can be kind to yourself, it'll be much easier to be kind to others.
0: I love that. I love that. And I often say to my clients that you should treat yourself as you would treat your best friend because we always have this way of being mean to ourselves and having huge great expectations and when we don't fulfill those expectations suddenly we're really harsh on ourselves and we wouldn't say those things or even think those things about other people so why do we do it to ourselves I don't know I need to go and read that book that you're doing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nadine, where can we find you and what services do you offer on your website?
1: You can definitely find me on my website at yogimd.net, y-o-g-i-m-d.net. And that is a site I'm very proud of because it shows you how to find me, where to find me. It tells you about what services I provide my yoga, my health coaching, and my podcast. You can find the uh, current episodes of the podcast there. And all the social links, I am on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube.
0: Fabulous. And Twitter. And Twitter. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It was
1: a great pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Alina. If you enjoyed it, I would love it if you could share it with a friend. Every time you share a podcast episode with a friend, it helps me to reach and help more people. Remember, you're welcome to sign up for my family friendly meal plan at Dr. com slash healthy dash family dash meal dash plan. Goodbye and have a fabulous week.